it is the most bizarre thing now that I've brought it into the light and see it for the truth of it and it's really interesting actually because there may be a correlation because my daughter is four now and there may be that that subconscious level of of her being the same age as I was when it happened that may have had another another layer of why I you know it's come back to me in my 34th year of life but I I essentially have always had one vivid vivid memory that I knew unequivocally happened Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey beautiful souls, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Emma last week and you're excited for part two. We are picking the conversation up as Emma is talking about the way her mum was able to love her so openly when Emma was diagnosed with cancer. Emma describes that as one of the times in her life that she felt the most loved and most deeply connected with her mum. But once Emma's cancer treatment was finished, her mum slipped back into old patterns and became distant once again. We're also talking about an adult diagnosis of ADHD and how that can impact a life. And also what happens when you're in a situation as a little girl where you need to share something deeply important, but you never tell a single soul. That That is heartbreaking though, because you would have been able to see that your mum could give you that love when she thought you know maybe she was going to lose you it's it's interesting that then when you had finished your treatment it all just kind of finished that it's it's impossible to understand isn't it especially when you're quite a sensitive person who just has emotion and and I find that really hard to understand yeah and and it's one to really, really think about the power of these patterns. And it certainly has been the case with me as well. The, the universe will sort of present you with these hardships. It will, present, it will present the pain point that needs to be looked at 
and needs to be looked at and it will give it to you time and time again until you learn the lesson but if you don't continue to like I said with my own kids it is these are new muscles that I'm practicing here and the awareness of it is the beginning but it is not the the continual perpetual ongoing work of rewriting that script rewriting that in every single challenge and moment that you have your pattern is going to rear its head because it's the way our brain has been shaped for years and years and in its formative years and it thinks that it's safety you know and so my mum has had this huge shock that's just made all of those patterns just drop temporarily but as soon as that threat of me dying is gone um because she hasn't had an awareness she didn't in her mind she she's no different she she was probably no different she doesn't see what she's like if yeah. she listened to this she would be heartbroken well I hope she'd be heartbroken but in her more triggered moments she'd be angry and she'd be insulted and kind of really defensive and it's hard because I would love to sit down with her and have this conversation but I know that I would be met with don't be ridiculous you know it would just come right up and also yeah. I don't think I need that anymore I'm working towards being a, a place of peace with knowing she loves me which I do know that but of course the little Emma inside me still feels hurt when I'll pop home for something you know we live really close like 10 minutes away I'll pop home um if I'm passing and she'll she well this particular time that only happened a few weeks ago she I came through the door and she was in the corridor going into the living room and she just glanced up at me and she just frowned and walked into the living room and shut the door and it was so hard and so horrible to be met with that reaction from my mother and that's been our history you know always she has a real um she has a really she has a real trigger around people wanting something from her she thinks that she's being used you know so my presence she thinks what does she want from me now yeah. um you know and so she doesn't even know it but then there's the scowl and just the not even saying hi yeah and she doesn't even know she's doing it dawn she doesn't know she's doing it 
Yes. Oh, oh my gosh, that's so hard. That's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard because, like you say, we know that our parents love us and we want our kids to know how much we love them, you know, and so all the stuff that goes on around us, um, it's just often telling those that we love the most all the things that we don't want them to think you know we don't we she like you say she would probably be devastated if if she thought that that's how you feel when you interact she'd be devastated but it's just stuff that we're not aware of but tell me what do you think having cancer taught you about life and death yeah I mean the the most beautiful thing other than my mom showing me love <laughs> with the cancer was that I well I did I didn't feel scared at all which was a surprise I felt completely at peace and my the anxiety and depression that I'd had um with that leaving me I realized that life could be this good and that if I lived through it which I kind of just knew that I was going to well I didn't really dwell on it it's really bizarre but with feeling so liberated I was like I can live like this and I'm gonna live so much better and there's a freedom there's such a freedom in remembering that you will die one day and that we are all gonna die one day and it's the age-old saying of like you know live live each day as if it was your last um you know which you can roll your eyes at and be like yeah but I've got bills to pay and all of the mundane stuff but it is true um and it is brought a, it's brought an excitement and a passion to my life that makes me just have such a desire to be authentic and make an impact while I'm here um and and be peaceful bring like it's the peace that's always eluded me you know just the stillness I've always been a a kind of do 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 person and last year was diagnosed with ADHD which made all of that make perfect sense ADHD is actually really strongly linked to trauma and I, I think I think I didn't stand a chance to be honest I see ADHD in my dad um, and I also see the trauma of my childhood and I think no wonder I've just been this <laughs> crazy feeling so out of sync with a world that felt so different and like felt like everyone else was able to do adulting in a way that I have never and still don't feel capable of doing. I was actually going to ask you about that because that was part of the whole COVID step back and and take the time and and out of that came this ADHD diagnosis, didn't it? I see. Um, my dad certainly has ADHD traits, and 
it was, to be honest, the, the diagnosis was such a, um, I mean, my dad wouldn't admit it, but it was more of a relief to him probably than to me because I was a very, I was very successful at masking my ADHD probably because of how my mom did raise us quite, quite um, strict on deadlines and doing things quickly and um, on time. And, and you can, ADHD is, you can completely conquer it with good habits if you know what to look for. So since I've been diagnosed, it's like just rather than thinking, oh, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't feel like I should have to remind myself to get a shower because nobody else has to remind themselves to get a shower. But I will, I will never know how long it's been since I've last, I'm just so terrible with personal hygiene. But now I've been diagnosed, I'm like, oh, that's why, you know, just like these little things. And so I'll set it as an alarm, as a reminder, like, you know, you need to wash yourself today, Emma. <laughs> um, and so when you're aware of it, you can function perfectly. And that's what my mom, my mom really instilled this sense of time management that's quite um, amazing for an ADHD person to have the time management that uh, I have. I mean, when I say time management, I'm more referring to being punctual to things. But my dad, you know, I alluded to it before with he just got into terrible financial um, trouble when we were younger. And on, on paper, uh, I mean, he got, he was supposed to appear in court because it was all, he'd, he'd ignored all of these letters um, and court orders because, and it's classic, it's like, I get the same way with documentation like that and uh, be just just having such an aversion to paperwork and I mean I just had to do my tax return this year and luckily my brother helped me but oh my goodness like I know why he ignored that he he got into trouble because for not paying his taxes and then he got sent a really small bill that he had to pay and he that he could have paid because he had the money to pay but he didn't pay it and and nobody in the family could get their head round how he couldn't have done that like that most basic thing why couldn't he do it? And then on top of that, be getting letter after letter and ignoring it. And because he ignored it, Dawn, they were they went after him for everything. And they were just like, 
you, we, you know, we're going to backdate this for, you know, the past five years and we're going to, you know, times it by this amount. And it suddenly became when he didn't show up in court, it became this huge bill. And that's when we had to sell our house because he wouldn't declare bankruptcy because that's what his dad had done. Patton's done. Oh my gosh, that's so hard, isn't it? Um, I just really feel for your dad there because he wouldn't have had any idea about what was going on there and neither would anybody else around him. So we're so lucky that we have so much more information these days about things like ADHD, but um, I feel really a lot of sadness for your dad at, at that point. And so... Does it mean that you've had ADHD since you were a kid or is it something that you develop? Yes, yes. it's so if you've got ADHD, then you've, then you've had it for your whole life. Um, so it makes sense to me looking back at my childhood um when i looked into adhd in girls it presents completely differently in girls and so it was actually a an, a friend that i'd met online that flagged it up to me that she saw a lot of similar traits in me as she had and just similar issues and she had been diagnosed with ADHD and she was the one that opened my eyes to what it even what it even meant and how it can show up in in girls and look completely different because I was of the very mainstream quite ignorant like tunnel view of what ADHD meant and so I was like oh well I got really good grades I was an A student you can't be an A student if you've got ADHD it's completely not true it's got ADHD has no bearing on intelligence whatsoever and actually I had a very very good mind for cram revising so talk about work in a system that does it does not accurate accurately portray you know um somebody's ability it, because essentially I would cram revise and then just regurgitate uh and ADHDs have a very high ability to hyper focus which was another thing that I didn't know about ADHD that really went in hand with my childhood especially with art it was like basically when you go into a hyper focus you don't you forget to even go to the toilet you don't eat you don't you know I mean that's an it's an extreme example but it is true you're so consumed in that moment of of really getting you're just in in it hyper focus says it all in what it's called doesn't it but that was me through and through and I could hyper focus I remember my English A level exam was a Shakespeare play one of the Henry's Henry the whatever I don't even know the name of the play but I got an A Dawn got an A because I read 
the York notes two hours before the exam. I read the York notes, which I don't know if you say that in Australia, if you say cliff notes or, you know, essentially the summary of the play that I hadn't, I hadn't read the play because I was in the pub drinking. <laughs> and um, luckily, I was so lucky that one of the questions was quite vague and it was just like, describe how France showed power over England over the play. And, and because I'd read the York notes, I just regurgitated it and got an A. It's oh my so gosh. Ridiculous. So ridiculous. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I'm not saying that I did that for everything. I was less academic, but lucky enough to be, to still succeed with the, with the academic ones, but all of the options that I chose were creative. So I did textiles, graphics and art and drama as my additional options. So what do you think is the link? You said that ADHD and trauma you think are linked. If you if you Googled indicators that you've got ADHD, it would be, you know, lack of concentration, motor mind, lots of things like that would come up. And if you Google trauma brain, they're just almost like for like the same points come up and I think that's why when someone says oh I've got ADHD this is this is what ADHD is and and you know people are becoming more and more aware of what it means to have ADHD now it's getting more it's talked about there's ADHD awareness month but a lot of people I know since my diagnosis so many people go I think I've got ADHD. I think I've got ADHD. And they might, you know, I would, I wouldn't ever say to somebody, you don't have it. But I, what I would say is, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> 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 because it does, it does present almost exactly the same. So it's definitely worth looking into that and I know with my work with my therapist she she always says oh what's the terminology that she uses I think she sort of says your supposed ADHD like I think she isn't convinced that I have ADHD the only thing that the only thing that makes me fairly certain I've got ADHD is that I a hundred percent see it in my dad and I think that his dad have had it um and I see it in my daughter as well so it's so that genetic element of ADHD I feel like I know that runs in our family there's too there's too much of a correlation with with that to doubt it but I don't think my therapist has been sort of explicit with it she because she says this about a lot of things that she refers to she sort of doesn't say things as black and white she likes to sort of I guess lean away from labels because essentially it actually doesn't matter you know it it's a label which is 
fine you know it's like oh I've got ADHD so you know I'm a bit like this but who cares it's like we are all humans and everyone's got their crazy nuances and it's just about getting to know yourself and how to manage that that's all it is and um yeah that's why the therapy that I'm doing it it really it has been amazing and I would recommend it to anyone that could afford it and I must admit I would not have put myself in the camp of being able to afford this type of therapy that I'm getting because it's she's a trauma-informed psychotherapist so it's you can get let's say you can just get a lot cheaper therapy out there um but I felt completely and utterly um propelled to do so because I had a re resurgence of a really traumatic um potentially really traumatic sexual abuse incident that happened when I was younger the memory of it I'd I'd buried so so deep that I just it was in the back of my mind but I never looked at it and I think because of all this self-development that I'd been doing over the past 12 months with the with my brain kind of going to those places this um this incident just came back to me actually from listening to one of your podcast episodes which was incredible because and again I'm going to say it Dawn what you were doing is so healing because that podcast episode where there was a lady talking about her own sexual abuse as a child was the thing that triggered that memory in me and if I hadn't have had that trigger and gone down this rabbit hole um I would never have seen this therapist. I would have said it's too expensive. <laughs> but because I was dealing with these really quite um, visceral fear emotions, um, not memories. I don't have memories of it, but I, I, it was like when I remembered it, I remembered the fear, which was strange. But anyway, because of that, that is what led me to go into the therapy and do this work and that is off the back of your podcast so thank you oh wow that's amazing my gosh I I I do know that this is something that you've been looking at and um and so when that memory comes back to you what has it been for you over the years is it something that you've known is there but you don't want to bring it forward or is it something you haven't quite been able to reach out and grab a hold of and say what that is because how old would you have been yeah so I've deduced that I was four when it happened I actually thought that I was a lot older um but from photographs of the time I found out that I was four which apparently 
makes sense as far as how my memory is around it because my therapist said that at that age the the dissociation around that memory um is yeah it it, it makes sense to not have to completely black that out and to not have that memory anymore and she unfortunately she said it might not ever come back I'm hoping that as I continue the work with her and I plan to do EMDR with her I'm hoping that it does come back and you might be like oh why <laughs> you know um but I feel like it's strange because the the question that you asked me about it it is the most bizarre thing now that I've brought it into the light and see it for the truth of it and it's really interesting actually because there may be a correlation because my daughter is four now and there may be that that subconscious level of of her being the same age as I was when it happened that may have had another another layer of why I you know it's come back to me in my 34th year of life but I, I I essentially have always had one one vivid vivid memory um that I knew unequivocally happened um which was uh me walking up my attic stairs of the of my old house that we lived in and I, like I said, didn't know how old I was, but and I've, I now found out that I was four. So I, I was walking up the attic stairs, turned, and it's weird, it's like a film. I just was almost watching myself going up the stairs, turned left, and this um, person was lying on a camp bed and he said you know he said to come over and I don't know if I don't know if I should say what he said <laughs> because I don't want to I'm happy to talk about it but I don't want you know I don't want any of what I say to upset anyone or I'm really aware that I, I do sort of happily share these things and it's not necessarily you know, I can still make the point I'm trying to make without going into detail. So that's what I'll do. But he he basically said for me to do something. And then I remember getting into the, he was under the covers and I got in. And that's when it just goes completely blank, completely blank. And so I... Uh, don't have any memories after that apart from uh, apart from four years later um I have a memory of asking my brother what because there were certain words that this guy used that I and uh, that I didn't and I didn't and, and, and the action that of what he'd asked me to do I didn't know what that was I was too young and so I remember asking my brother about it and all that's a very short snippet 
of a memory. All, all I remember was that he just acted really weird. And I got that feeling of like, I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong and just went quiet about it. And then a few years later, my brother asked me, he, my brother brought it up with me. So he'd obviously remembered uh, and remembered that he hadn't really responded. And so he brought it up with me. And that's when I just pretended to him that I didn't know what he was talking about. And then it's just been a memory in the back of my mind that hasn't held any weight whatsoever. And whenever I've, it's weird now because I just think what was going on with not, not sort of thinking more on that memory, but because the dissociation was so powerful, I think I just told myself that nothing happened. I think I just told myself that nothing must have happened and I don't know what happened and I do, and, and maybe nothing happened. The only thing that makes me think otherwise is that whenever I talk about it, including now, I feel like I feel the fear, like I feel fear talking about it. And, you know, that is, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's certain things in my reactions that I know, um, essentially at the end of the day, no matter what happened, whether it was really, you know, really horrific or not so sort of invasive, whatever happened, I was, you know, I was so, I was petrified, uh, you know, and that's what the therapist has tried to, talk me through because she said you don't need similarly with like you don't need the label of ADHD she's like you don't need to know what happened here you all you need to know is show yourself that love you know that you were a four-year-old who this horrible experience happened to you know um and yeah, so it's, it was when I first found out, I think, and, and, and similarly with the ADHD, all of these things, I was kind of like, oh, see, look, that's why I've been so messed up my whole life. You know, that's the reason, because I have always felt so broken, Dawn, you know, really, uh, ill at ease with the world and to to have something to point the blame at there's something nice about that you know to just be like well look this happened to me but I know now it's it's everything it's the huge picture the the trauma that my uh five-year-old self had with my dad leaving that I remember vividly the weight of that is not less than the weight of this experience in fact I think I'd definitely say 
at this point in time. I'm still in the middle of processing all this, but I definitely say at this point in time, that was that was so much harder as a kid to go through that heartbreak of my dad leaving and to hold that in my heart you know that when you're that age you think it's because they don't love you you know you think they can't have loved me because they left me that's all the brain can handle when it's that young <laughs> they can't think oh but you know he needs to go and work and all that you know that that just doesn't exist because you are the world you you know you are everything at that at that age you can't bring all the other reasons into it so the the peace that comes with giving those those heavy experiences the the weight that they deserve you know that I've never let I've never always been like no that that was fine like who am I to even complain like my parents didn't even divorce like I've got loads of friends where their parents divorced and it's just bullshit because it is just it doesn't matter what how big or small it seems to be from the outside it is big if your little heart was broken and that's it that's yeah. all it comes down to absolutely oh my gosh I you know I just think also the connection between what happened when you were four and then your dad leaving at five that, that there's a big kind of connection there around safety you know like even though you you've buried what what happened at four there's this complete loss of safety when something like that happens to you isn't there and then when your dad goes away that's that feels not safe as well so all of those things intertwine and interconnect oh. to make everything so much harder I guess when I look back on it as you know, my own feelings on it as an adult, as a grown woman and as a mother. Obviously, all of these feelings were beyond me at the time. I wouldn't have been even been able to label what the feelings were that I was having. But now I, yeah, I just look back and, and I look into my own daughter's eyes and I imagine that happening to her and I imagine her not telling me straight away and I think I pray that she would and I I, I think I believe I believe that she would and 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 that makes me mourn it makes me mourn my four-year-old self at not having many memories of them but just knowing that I couldn't go and tell anyone I can't believe that I didn't go and tell anyone um and I don't know what ugh, like I as far as the memory goes, perhaps this person 
threatened me or maybe he said if you tell then you know like you hear these things don't you and I don't know but it does um it does break my heart because it, it kind of cements that I that that feeling that that feeling of isolation that I had growing up and just the tragedy of that of of me not being able to speak to you know my my parents <laughs> like it's such a bottom line and I am so so um careful to have such an open dialogue with my kids um my three-year-old boy it kind of goes over his head but you know we talk about private parts all the time and how they are for you and that you know it's it wasn't it was more prudy in those days I don't know what your experience generation wise but it was like none of that was talked about um and so the the just the lack of knowledge around that and then obviously um having no clue but feeling like it was wrong and that I was going to be punished um it's just I will I will not let that ever happen in the family you know we've got books about you know <laughs> of how to explain everything and and kids actually they need they don't just need like what a one-off explanation of what what their bodies are and about um it just needs to be continually reinforced throughout childhood um and I also talk I mean to be honest anyone listening to this is going to be like you just talk she just talks about like sex and death with her kids who are three and four but genuinely I'm like so when we die because we all die and did you know how you were made mommy and daddy had sex which is when this happens <laughs> just really matter of factly like and there's an egg and a like I think I think sometimes I'm like is this how I should be playing it but genuinely the advice online is just to be really matter of fact about it they can handle it you know and um yeah it's uh it's something that we certainly didn't have a dialogue around any of that stuff so no, no. I, I think it's awesome you know it's just it's just honest isn't it it's just real life and if you're speaking to your kids about anything then they know they can speak to you about anything and that's the that's the goal that's what you want to achieve I think I think it's amazing so it sounds like you've got a, a really amazing therapist that you speak to what other things do you bring into your life to get through like do you have any mindfulness practices mm. are there things that you do regularly to help yourself Yes, a hundred percent. My art is such an outlet for me, and ha and and as I've spoken about, it always has been. But actually, it's really interesting because I've been doing a lot of reading about this recently, because I'm hoping to start a bit of a community membership around doing creative practices in order to heal 
you know, uh, heal from anything, heal from the traumas that I, I guarantee we've all been through them. Um, so yeah, so it, it's been such a consistent, almost meditation for me, getting lost in those worlds of craft. And now I've been reading about it. There's so much science around what happens to our brains when we create or paint or craft or, you know, or crochet or do anything with our hands like that, the kind of repetitive motions of it slow our brain waves down and every single I believe that every single person should have an art practice and I think the only reason people don't is that the school system um, does not embrace that sort of free play spirit that is within every child um, the the school system has really tragically boxed up what it good what it means to be a good good artist or a good musician or a good singer you know and so we take these beliefs on as kids that we aren't that's not for us that's for the the ones that are good at drawing that still life or whatever and it's so not true especially if you go at the if you go at a canvas thinking this is going to be purely for me in this moment to push some paint around um, and shed all of that all of that weight of like oh is this good is this good it's completely fabricated what it's completely um it, it, it's so damaging because we've got all these beautiful creative humans who um might be in jobs that don't fulfill that side of them whatsoever and then they won't even take up an art class because they think, oh, I'm not good at it. So I really want to create a space, Dawn, that's like completely taking off any pressure of I'm an artist and I'm producing. Like it's, it's purely for your health. And that's sort of what I'm working on doing at the moment. But even the even the oh, sorry I'm going on about this because I feel really passionately about it but obviously we know art therapy is a thing like it's a real thing and there's really simple tools that you can that anyone can apply to their life in creativity to come back to a place of just feeling grounded and being in the moment um, and bringing peace to that moment so um I've got to say that has been my consistent throughout all of this sort of tumult of discovery and um, yeah, I feel very sort of privileged to have that and for that not to be scary to me, you know, because I know it's, it is scary to people who 
might not have had a creative practice since school and you know since maybe being told that they couldn't draw you know oh my gosh it's so true and I I was like that I was at school didn't take art because I didn't think I would be any good and because the art teachers were not very nice um and my whole life I've been wanting to you know I bought paints and I've and then they sat there and then I've done I did a whole year of a course and did nothing with it and it is that thing of feeling like you're just not good enough and and it shouldn't be that at all should it it should really just be create something beautiful I mean who knows if you just let yourself go what you can create so I think that's amazing and I'll put my hand up to be in that membership. Um, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so are there any books that you think have been life-changing for you in your journey? Oh, my goodness. Oh, Dawn, so many. I mean, I think the la- like of last year, a really big one for me was Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Um, it really kind of, it, 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 dives deep into the the sort of the cages that we we put them around ourselves really well they're kind of they're put around us as kids they stifle us um you know often with the most well-meaning of parents like in my case and the genius of this book is that Glennon Doyle, I mean, she's a really, she's been through quite a lot and she tells her story really powerfully, but it just highlights how we all have the ability to break out of that cage. And, and you know, every single thing that fills us with doubt, that's a cage that you can also break out of you know, like you were just saying with the art then that there's that hesitancy, what will people think, the judgment, it's like, that's a pattern that, you know, that your brain's created to protect itself and to keep it safe, keep playing small. No doubt you've had to work through so many barriers in putting a podcast out because you're putting this raw, vulnerable, exposed, truth out into the world when you put your heart and soul out into the world it's so scary it really is on every level but each time you do it you're you're breaking through these layers of this cage that we've been trapped in and this book really there's so many beautiful bits in this book so I'll just keep it at that one read that book if you haven't already Sounds awesome. I'll be getting a copy of that one. So Emma, your art is so beautiful and you're just so inspiring in what you're doing. So tell us where we can find you, what's your mission and what you're offering to the world? Oh, well, I mean, I'm in such a sort of messy middle at the moment. I always show up on Instagram, which is at Emma Warren Skies and it's kind of like a visual diary so I'll post on there with some sometimes it's about my kids or just little poems that I love and at the moment I'm doing commemorative art so I'm creating a piece of 
commemorative tribute art to honour uh, an 11 year old girl who died about a year and a half ago, um, working with her auntie to create a piece to bring her like comfort and it's in the really early stages but that's all on there um but I don't have a website ADHD <laughs> I don't have a website or really many other places apart from my email which is emmawarrenskies at gmail.com so Instagram is really the best place to find me if anybody would like to I'd love you to to say hi sounds amazing Oh my gosh, Emma, today has just been, ah, it's just such a journey that you've been on. You're such a student and a teacher and a healer, like all of those things and all at once. And I feel like the way that you speak and express, it just tells us all the things that I think so many people need to know on so many levels and can never actually express it you know like it's just come out so beautifully I just I've just absolutely loved hearing your story and the fact that you know your your kids are so young and you're still so young you have gotten on top of all of these things you know and you're getting on top of all of these things so early it's going to be so beautiful to see the rest of your journey because I I I can see how much you've learned just in the short time that I've known you. Mm. You're such a beautiful soul. I love you and I, I'm so grateful to have met you and I thank you for sharing your story with us today. Oh, thank you, Dawn. I love you too. Thank you so much for being here. Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at mybigloveproject and please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way by hearing this episode? Please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it. These stories are so important. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.